Well, this Sunday marks our fourth and final Sunday in Advent before Christmas. And from ancient times, like we've said, Christians have anticipated the celebration of Christmas with Advent, a season of hope and expectation, setting aside time to remember and anticipate our King. And we have gathered to worship Him and to be filled with His peace and joy, His hope and His love, all the while being filled with the wonder of God becoming one of us. Each week we have lit a candle, the first three, three weeks representing hope, joy, peace, and this Sunday we light the candle of love, representing the gift of love that is Christ Jesus. And if you can believe it, with only a few days left before Christmas, we continue to hear about the coming of Jesus. We've read about the promised prophecies, and today we are given the account of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and telling her what is to come. This Friday, we will hear about the shepherds, the angels, our dear Savior's birth, and I would encourage you, grab one of these cards, join us for Christmas Eve, and I know it is probably going to rain, I get that, but believe me, there is something that is truly good for your soul, being here together and worshiping at Christmas. It's good for our souls to come together and celebrate our Lord's birth and the hope, joy, peace, and love that the King of Kings brings. So let's pull out our Bibles. We're going to open them out up to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to Luke. Luke was written by? Very good. You guys are going to go far in life. It was written by Luke. It's a two-parter, right? Remember, Luke and Acts connect together as one book. We're looking at verse 26 in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There's a lot of interesting details that we can look at here in this opening, this setup that Luke gives us. See, now Elizabeth is Mary's relative. She had been barren for many years. It's implied in the text, it comes right before this section in our reading, that she, Elizabeth, is beyond the ability to have a child. And she had experienced disappointment and shame for many years because of this. The text implies that she and her husband, Zachariah, had been praying for a child for a very long time. And that prayer had been given up because it was no longer humanly possible for them to have a child. But God promised her husband, Zechariah, that Elizabeth would give birth and that their son would be the one to make straight the paths for the Lord. She would give birth to John the Baptist. And so, because God said it, she was pregnant. Now, chronologically, in our text here, I don't know if you know this, this is the first time that Nazareth is mentioned. Nazareth is part, perhaps remarkable mostly for being unremarkable. It was unmentioned in the Old Testament, unmentioned in the Apocrypha, and even in the writings of Josephus. Nazareth, friends, is in the general vicinity of Galilee right there. It's about 15 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. Six miles away from the closest major road, had no good water supply, and one fairly weak well right there in the center of the village was all that was. Now, Jesus is going to forever be identified with Nazareth. He's called that throughout the Gospels. In fact, in Acts, his followers are actually called Nazarenes. But this place was Nowhereville. 
You can see she was pledged to be married to Joseph. And just so that you know, there were three stages of a Jewish wedding in that day. The first was the engagement, which was a formal agreement made between the fathers, followed by the betrothal, where there would be a ceremony and mutual promises were made. And then came the marriage, which took place about a year later, and the bridegroom would come for his bride at an unexpected time. So we can see that Mary and Joseph here are in that betrothal stage. And when a couple was betrothed, they were under the obligations of faithfulness. A divorce would be required if someone broke the betrothal because this, friends, was not a casual promise. If it was broken, it could be punishable by stoning, which is why we get that piece in Matthew where the angel comes and visits Joseph as well. My final note as we set the stage here is the name Mary It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Miriam, which was Moses' sister, of course. And the name actually means exalted one, which I think is a very fitting description of the soon-to-be mother of the Messiah. But like I said, the stage is now set. Let's dive in. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel Gabriel is going to say three things to Mary. Each of these are certainly true of her. She had the unique privilege among any person to ever live as being the mother of God. She was highly favored. The Lord was with her, and she was blessed. Now, the fact that Mary was troubled at his saying here is not fear, like Zechariah and the shepherds fear when the angels come to them. This, friends, is a display of how she feels. See, we're led to believe that Mary in her humility humility, was unsettled. To hear such extravagant words said of her like, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. It's no small thing to be noticed, to be seen, to be regarded, to be favored, especially when you are exceedingly aware that you should not be. Maybe you know what that's like, that feeling like you should not be seen feeling like you have no worth, that there is nothing special about you, looking in the mirror and hating what you see, wishing, wanting to be anything or anyone beside who you are, constantly being beat down by a world where everyone tells you who you should be and then in a more real way tells you exactly who you get to be, what you are, who you are. Be like this, look like this, do that, pushed and pulled in so many directions that it seems to be whoever the loudest is must be right. And yet here you are, just you. Spending as much time as you can distracting yourself, checking out so that you don't have to be you, have to sit with just you. Maybe you've felt that way. But here's something I want you to hear today. Not later, not after Christmas, but right now. Friends, Mary was all these things, and while she alone was the mother of God, every believer in Jesus Christ now has those same three descriptions that Gabriel said of Mary. You are highly favored. You are highly favored. The Lord looks at you in joy. Remember last week, the Lord sings over you in joy. Friends, the Lord is with you always. That is his promise to the very ends of the earth when the road is dark and long and there doesn't seem like anything to do. 
His light, His warmth rests in you because He is with you. And you are blessed. You are anointed. He has prepared a table for you in the presence of all of this. Has promised a place for you. Has promised that His goodness, His mercy will follow you all the days of your life. God favors you, has come to be with you, has come to bring you the restoration that you need, has promised to heal you and make you whole. Hear this truth. In Christ, you are enough. All your faults, your imperfections, all of you, you are all His. And He is yours. That is not opinion. That is promised truth. God has said it. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Blessed. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and would be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I love how the focus starts with Mary and then shifts to the son, a son that will be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This child, this son, was unmistakably identified here as the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And Mary knew exactly what Gabriel was talking about because she was a woman of the Word of God. When Gabriel said this, Mary knew exactly, this is the quote, the promise from Isaiah chapter 7, the one we looked at, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he will be great. Now, I'm not knocking my boy Gabriel here. But think of all the elegant words used to describe Jesus throughout Scripture. I can't help but think that when God told Gabriel what to say, maybe he was like looking for a pen. God's talking about like, I'd say all these things, and he's looking around. He doesn't have it, right? What am I going to write down? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And then he gets there, and he's like, and he, Mary, will be great. You know, it may not be the most elegant, but it's true. No one has been greater. No one has influenced more of history than Jesus Christ. And throughout time, that word great has been given to conquerors. He is the greatest conqueror of all. Has been given to deliverers. He is the greatest deliverer of all. Has been given to, to saviors, and he is the greatest savior of them all. It is why he is called son of the most high. Because not only would he be the son of Mary, he would be known as the son of God and the throne of his father, David. The Messiah prophesies to David, here he is, all authority to rule over Israel, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Fully God, fully man come to be with us. Mary says, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. 
Mary asked this real logical question, the same question Zachariah asked in the text before, only his was asked in skepticism. Mary's is asked in wonderful faith. And Gabriel tells her that the power of the highest, the person of the Holy Spirit, would overshadow you. That overshadow word means to cover with a cloud, as in the cloud of Shekinah glory, right from Exodus, the one that was there, or the cloud that surrounds the disciples and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the visible manifestation of the glory and presence of God, the same God that was present with Moses, was now going to do a unique work in the life of Mary, the Holy One of God. This manner of conception would be from God. And friends, it doesn't sound very controversial to us to call Jesus the Son of God, but at the time it meant that he would have, <laughs> he would be the same as God. It's why they will go crazy when he says that. How could God come to dwell with us? It is impossible. But we must hear and we must know that Jesus doesn't become the Son of God one day on the cross. He is called it recognizing that from the beginning, fully God, fully man. And in the midst of this amazing promise, Gabriel even gives a proof, explaining that Elizabeth, if she could be pregnant, God could, good, could do this. And that last little section, for no word from God will ever fail. In other pieces of scripture, we see it, nothing is impossible with God. They said that to Abraham and Sarah when even in her old age she wasn't able to have a child. The point is clear. God performs and does what he says. He fulfills his promises, the promises made to Mary, to Elizabeth, to Sarah and Abraham, the promises made to you in your baptism. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled and the angel leaves. Let it be to me according to your word. This is how we are supposed to respond, undoubtedly. You know, this story is surrounded by the impossible. The angel's confession that nothing is impossible for God finds its deepest meaning here in all the impossibility. All the impossibility of Mary's time and all the impossibility of our time. What is your impossible? You close your eyes, you start to pray. What is there that is on your heart that you know is impossible? You know it. Perhaps it's something that God has called you to do or it's something that you need him to do or something that you have asked him to do for another. What is your impossible? I'm going to take a moment to invite the band back up here to sing in just a little bit. But for in our text, the impossible was that a young teenage girl from a nothing town was being favored. A woman who was a virgin would give birth to a son and after thousands of years of waiting for restoration from the garden, the king, the Messiah, was now coming. 
Our sad imaginations might think that this Christmas story is just super nice. We climb up the sycamore tree, we look at it, we observe it. But friends, when we step into it, we see just how impossible this is. These things do not just happen. But this story isn't just made up and got some cute details so that we remember it. This story is about God interacting with people in the midst of the impossible. Real people, just like you and I. Mary responds just how much she couldn't believe in this impossible stuff. She said, who am I? Me? I'm favored? The Lord's going to be with me. She knew. She knew her place. She knew who she was. She knew that this could not happen, that she would become pregnant, that God is not going to give her any excuses on what to tell her fiancé or that this is going to be a child that is actual God. All we hear is that it is impossible. But with God in this text, there is movement. There is a spirit. There is a word that cannot be stopped no matter how impossible it seems. Because in the midst of this promise from God is a movement of heart and faith and trust. We see that movement in Mother Mary. From troubled heart to questioning God to how can this be, to let it be. There is only one that can move you from a troubled heart that questions to let this happen. It's right there in verse 34. Impossible to possible does not come because you have intellectually understood it or you have seen it with your eyes. Impossible to possible does not happen because you are going to try super hard and you're never going to give up. Impossible to possible comes from the presence of God. The presence of God. His word is what makes impossible possible. Bringing freedom, allowing you to breathe, to walk slowly through that garden, to be at peace. Peace in the midst of disorder and pandemonium. I'm not a crazy person. I'm not. I'm not saying that you can go jump on a building like Neo from one to the next, that type of impossible. I'm talking about real impossible, friends. If you are broken, he makes you whole. If you have been filled with anxiety and worry, he brings you his peace. If you have lost relationships, he, through the power of forgiveness and healing, will bring restoration. The mistakes that you have made will not be what defines you. And if you are a no one, you are now a child of God, from nobody to favored from peasant girl to the mother of God, from denying to the discipleship. This is the transition that we wait for. This is the advent to Christmas, the waiting. Mary's story moves us from who we think we are to what God has called us. From having life without to having God with us. Impossible to possible. If all you know in this world and in your life is impossible, then this Christmas let the impossibility become possible in Jesus Christ. Let that ring true. Let the impossibility of his love for you root you and fill you. Become you. You are favored. God is with you. 
and you are blessed. Will you stand with me and sing these truths that we have in our Savior?